Good morning. If you would um, turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 1, we're going to be reading verses 5 through 25 this morning. And this is from the ESV. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in, in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Have you guys ever found yourself in a tough spot? One of those times where uh, you just didn't really know what to do? And in that, that moment of desperation, maybe the deadline was hitting or whatever was coming, uh, you, you were just feeling maybe a little indecisive and didn't know how to pull the trigger. Whatever the situation, you cried out to God in the middle of your distress, Lord, just give me a sign, right? Just tell me what to do. I'm, I'm pretty sure we've all done that. We've all found ourselves in that position where we didn't know what to do and we cried out to God, Lord, if you will just give me a sign, then I will know how you want me to proceed. Now, in our reasonable, common sense way, we like to ask God for something that's improbable, but still possible. So when we ask for a sign, I think we have a formula that goes something like this. God, if you do this, then I know I should do that, right? God, if you'll do this, then I know I should do that. And so we do things like this. God, if you'll just let me drive to work without any red lights, 
then I know you want me to stay at my job, right? Or Lord, if in my drive today you will just play that certain love song, then I will know that I should tell that girl how I feel about her and ask her on a date, right? right? Or God, if you just have lightning strike right now, then I'll know I should tell my friend where they're wrong, right? We've all done something like that, right? Where we've said, if you'll do this, then I know I should do that. In some form or fashion, we may, we've all probably done that. One of those, I won't tell you which, you probably already know, uh, may or may not have related to my life. Uh, might involve songs I don't understand. Anyway, all right. So here's the thing, all right? No matter what, when we ask for a sign, we almost always act for it reactively. We find ourselves in a bad spot. We find ourselves facing a tough decision. And as we're in that spot, we ask for a sign so that we'll know how we are supposed to proceed. We want him to make it, we want God to make it absolutely clear to us what we should do so we can do it. I think in those moments, what we really want is we want him to solve our problem in the blink of an eye so that it's over. If we have that sign, doesn't it really like limit our opportunity for faith? Limit our opportunity to rely on him? If he just makes it abundantly clear, then we know and we can move forward, right? So we often find ourselves in these situations where we're asking for a sign reactively. What we see in Scripture is oftentimes God provides these signs proactively. They come before we ever even ask for them. If we will only take a, chance, take a minute to look for them and listen to what God might be saying. Just think about this for a second. I just went on a long road trip. And if you've ever been on a long road trip, you know the fights that can come up as you're driving down the road on where you should stop, right? So somebody says, like, I really want McDonald's. And you're, you're looking at the billboards, and you're like, yeah, there's a McDonald's in 47 miles, or there's a Taco Bell in 20 miles, right? So you can look at the signs. The signs are along the side of the road. They tell you what's ahead. So when you get to that exit, you can already make your decision. You can already know what's there. Those signs come proactively. Throughout Scripture, what we often see is God marks the path with billboards, with signs that show us what He's about. He shows us what He's going to do. Today, we're going to be looking at a lot of signs. In fact, some of the things we are going to see today are signs that actually point to signs. And almost all the signs that we're going to look at today are going to be ones that God gave us proactively. When God gives us signs proactively, what he's doing for us is he's showing us it's me who's at work here. I'm the one who has a plan. I'm showing you what I'm about, and I want you to know it's me the whole time. So as we look at today's passage and we unpack what Kat read for us today, we're going to see God's hand at work as he shows us these signs. Last week we talked about how Luke wanted his friend Theophilus to be certain in the things that he was taught. Luke didn't want his friend Theophilus to someday, way off in the future, say, God, if you'll just give me a sign, then I'll know these things are true. Rather, 
What Luke wanted was to point to the signs along the way so that Theophilus, his friend, could have confidence and certainty in what he was taught about Jesus Christ. So today, as we look at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, we should see the hand of God shoveling the dirt and planting signs pointing to the wonderful gift of His Son, which was on the way. Today we're going to look at five signs, five signs that should help us have certainty that the Messiah is coming. Five signs that should help us have certainty that the Messiah is coming. Now Luke is going to show us, as we move even just through chapter 1, that this Messiah is Jesus. But today we should see that the long-awaited Messiah is finally coming. All right, so let's break this down. The five signs that will help us have certainty that the Messiah is coming. The first sign that we're going to look at today isn't so obvious. Okay, the sign that we're going to see today is the beginning of the story itself. So what is the, the first sign? The first sign is the beginning of the story. Let me see if I can show you what I mean. Let's reread uh, what we talked about last week from chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Here's what we read last week and where we spent all of our time. It says this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the what beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely, from when? From some, for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now, you'll remember last week, uh, that we talked about verse 3 in particular, and we looked at the phrase, for some time past. That we shouldn't, when we read this, we shouldn't think of this as studying something for a long time. We actually looked at this translation in a couple different uh, versions of the Bible, and we see that it's really more about studying the story closely from its beginning, looking at the beginning of the story. Luke says that he talked to witnesses who saw things from when? The beginning. Okay, now, so the first sign that we're looking that Luke gives us that the Messiah is coming is found in where the story begins. Now, I want you to think about the four Gospels. Think about the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, we're talking about Luke, but then the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of John, where does the, the narrative, the story begin? Where does the story itself pick up? It picks up with John the Baptist. John the Baptist is on the scene. He's making way uh, for the Lord. But if we look at Matthew, where does Matthew begin? Matthew begins with, with the, the birth of Jesus, the story of Jesus. But if we look at the book of Luke, Luke begins in a little bit different place. Luke begins with the origin story of John the Baptist. Luke begins with the guy who's going to prepare the way for Messiah. He didn't start with, with John the Baptist already on the scene. He didn't start with the birth of Jesus. He went back even further to the origin story of 
the forerunner. And what he tells us, what Luke tells us, is not only is the birth of Jesus a miracle, but the birth of the forerunner is a miracle. We can have confidence in the testimony of John the Baptist because his story is one that's special. His story is a miracle. We, as, as Catherine read for us earlier, we can have confidence in the testimony of John the Baptist because an angel told us that he came in the spirit of the prophet Elijah and that the Holy Spirit was going to be on him while he was still in his mother's womb. Now, I wanted to do a whole quick aside here, uh, just a, a little a moment for pro-life and where does life begin if, if the Holy Spirit can be on you in the womb, then that child is very much alive. That's for free. You can file that away. We're not spending time tracking that one down today. But what we're told here is that this was a special man on a special mission. His mission was prepared before he was even born. So what's the first sign that this is going to be the Messiah that's coming? Where does Luke begin? He wants us to know that the man who's coming to prepare the way was sent. That he was sent by God on an intentional mission to carry out God's plan to prepare his people for the coming of the Messiah. Now this brings us to the second sign. How do we know? How do we know that this happened? How do we know that John was someone special? The second sign is this. We know he's special because an angel delivers the news. So that's sign number two. How do we, how do we know the Messiah is coming? Because an angel delivers the news that the forerunner is on the way. All right, so why is this baby special? Because an angel said so. Now, I think my kids are great, okay, I love my kids. I know that God has wonderful things planned for my children. Whatever he has, I know it's going to be great and wonderful. But you know what you and I have in common? No angel told us about the purpose and plan that God has for our children, right? This is something unique. This is something special, right? No, no matter how special and the plans that he has for our little babies, none of them are going to announce the coming of the Savior of the world. The fact that an angel showed up and said, hey, your child is going to be different is absolutely a sign of things to come. God sent a supernatural being out of eternity to meet with Zechariah and tell him the good news. Think about this for a minute. We're told in what, what we read earlier that, that both Zechariah and Elizabeth were old. That they had been waiting quite a long time to have a child. And no child had come. And yet an angel shows up and tells them a miracle is about to happen. Someone who's been barren for years is about to have a child. 
And not only is this child going to be born, but from the very beginning, this child would have a calling on his life. And the angel of the Lord said this to Zechariah, starting in verse 15. For he will be great before the Lord. I mean, could you just stop right there, like as a dad? Do what about my son? Right? Like, he's going to what? He's going to be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many to the children And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. What was John's mission? John would lead the people of Israel toward repentance and reconciliation with each other. And he would prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. And Zechariah can count on this. He can count on this. He can take it to the bank because an angel of the Lord told him so. Except he doesn't. Right? So this angel of the Lord, like, okay, I just want you to think about this for a second. We all said, Lord, if you'll just show me a sign. And we, we, in our wisdom and common sense, place the signs of the Lord well within our physical world, like traffic lights and songs and lightning bolts, right? All right, so we, we put it well with it. If an angel of the Lord showed up, would that not be a sign? If an angel of the Lord shows up and tells you what to do, and we're supposed to test the Spirit. So assuming that it is in agreement with the word of the Lord, okay? If an angel of the Lord shows up and tells you something to do, what do you do? You believe it and you do it. Amen? That is not the case in the Bible. You're all liars. If the angel told you to do something, you'll go, wait. Now, how do I know this is real, right? Now, how do I know this is real? So, in the middle of all this, what do we see? This, this is the third sign that something special is going to happen. Okay, and that's, this is this. Zechariah is struck mute by the angel. The third sign that the Messiah is really coming is the fact that John, or this is the fact that Zechariah was struck mute. Look at uh, how the passage continues in verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? It's actually a pretty reasonable question, right? I mean, he's old, his wife's barren. This is a reasonable question. For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. (laughs) So kind, right? (laughs) She's an old lady, right? And the angel of the Lord answered him. Listen to this answer. Like, like, are you kidding me? Like, this is Gabriel. Just like, are, are you stupid? Right? What's he say? I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news, you dummy, right? Like, do you read that between there? Like, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So what's the sign to Zechariah that this angel meant business? All right, it was 
that, that he was struck mute. Now, I love this part of the story, okay? I, I love this part of the story because it kind of has an Abraham and Sarah flavor to it, right? So if you know the story of Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 18, God is talking to, uh, to Abraham and says, listen, you're finally going to have a son. It's, it's really going to happen this time, all right? It's not something that's going to happen way up in the future. It's going to happen very soon. And, uh, and, and, and Sarah is, is in the tent next door, right outside the tent walls. And evidently tent walls are really thin. And so she hears this, right? And what she do? She laughs. Like when she hears the news that she's 90 years old and her old man husband, they're going to have a baby, she laughs, right? And that's her response to this. This is a joke, right? They've taken all these steps to take it into their own hands. There's been uh, Hagar and Ishmael and all this. And what's her response? You're telling me I'm going to have a kid now? She laughs. She doubts. Why would she doubt? Because life had told her it's never going to happen. What has life told Zachariah and Elizabeth? It's never going to happen. And so when God says it's going to happen, there's, there's doubt there. Gabriel says, seriously? And he, say, he says it's a sign to him. Now, I just want you to think about that for a minute. The sign to him, the sign to him that what the angel says is true is his curse. The, this is the only, like as we go through, the only reactive sign, okay, the only reactive sign, how, how shall I know this is going to happen? So God's been the one moving. He's the one who sent the angel. He's the one who's sending, sending the forerunner, right? But this time he said, how shall I know? And what's, what's the reactive sign? It's the curse of being mute. The reaction is, is the curse. And, and you know what? This is a sign to a sign. I told you one of the signs was a sign that points to a sign. This sign points to the sign, the angel, that what the angel is saying is true. You can trust it. How do you know it's true? Because listen, as much as you try as you want, you're not going to be able to open your mouth. But you can trust, you can trust what happened. So this, this muteness is not just a sign, though, to Zechariah. It's a sign to everybody in the assembly who was waiting for him to come out of the temple. So he comes out of the temple, and this is what we have in verse 21. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them, and remained mute. As he comes out and he can't talk, everybody's like, what happened in there? What happened in there? Something special must have happened in there. Clearly seen a vision. Tell us about it. <laughs> you know, like, I'll tell you. Just give me a few months, right? Right? So, like, uh, it's a sign to them that they should be expecting something. They should be expecting something. They should be expecting that Elizabeth will be expecting. Dad joke. All right, there you go. Write that one down. Dad joke, right? Now, the next verse tells us that Zechariah went home. And when he went home, he went home to his wife. And something wonderful happened. He didn't talk back for like 10 months, <laughs> right? No, something wonderful happened. She conceived. She conceived. So this is the fourth sign. The fourth sign is that uh, uh, the fourth sign that the, that the Messiah is coming is that the old and the barren conceive. 
the old and the barren conceive. So, all right, he said it's going to happen. He said it's going to happen. Now what? It actually happened. Look at verse 24 and 25. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept, her, kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. If you think about that, for her whole life, her whole married life, she's carried this burden of not being able to have a child. And in that day and age, that was a, a, a sign of people. There must be something wrong with you. Why is God not blessing you with a child? There must be something wrong with you. Why do they have no children? What does it tell us? Let's look at verse 6. It says, And they were both, this is Elizabeth and Zechariah, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They had no children because Elizabeth was barren. Both were advanced in years. So according to this passage right here, what we see here in verse 6 and 7, why did they have no children? They had no children because Elizabeth was barren. That's the reason. Okay, I, want you, I just want you to chew on that for a second. What's the reason they had no children? They had no children because Elizabeth was barren. That's it. Was it their sin? What's the passage say? The passage says they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments. Was there sin? Was there something spiritually defective in them and that kept them from having a child? The answer to that is no. Did they somehow deserve this curse of barrenness? The answer to that is no. Luke goes out of his way to tell us that these were God-fearing and righteous people, that they loved God and they served Him well, yet they had no children in their old age. Now, I think we are often quick to blame ourselves for whatever plight we've experienced in life that goes against our deepest desires. We say, it must be my fault. If I would have just done this or that, then God would have orchestrated things and made them work out the way I wanted to. It must somehow be my fault that God has abandoned me in my great need, in my great desire. It must be my fault. But is that the case for Zechariah and Elizabeth? No. God had something wonderful in store for them. God had something spectacular in store for them. Now, am I saying that, that God is going to send John the Baptist to every family that has experienced infertility or another difficult, painful, soul-crushing experience? No, I'm not saying that. But, but here, here's what I am saying. I am saying that God may have wonderful things in store for you, whatever your situation is. God is not limited. God is not limited by our human expectations and desires. Just because we have unfulfilled expectations and desires 
does not mean that God cannot use you to accomplish things for his kingdom. And as these two went through their life, advanced in years, thinking they're never going to have a child, God stepped into that space and did something that would otherwise not be a miracle. What I love about this is, we'll learn about this more uh, next week as we talk about uh, Jesus, but spoiler alert, Jesus was born of a virgin. Did you guys know that? Right? So, uh, so the thing that I love about this story is we see a miracle in the conception of Jesus, and we see a miracle of a different sort in the conception of John the Baptist. We see God say, I am not going to be bound by natural expectations, by natural things. I'm going to step in and let you all know that I am the one at work. And God was able to step into Zechariah and Elizabeth's pain and their heartache and give us a miracle so that like Theophilus, we may have certainty in the things that we've been taught. Now that's huge as we think about the suffering and the unmet expectations and desires of our lives. We do not know why God has put those things before us. But each one of them may be an opportunity for God to reflect his glory in the middle of our suffering, which is why I like to say God does not waste suffering. I don't always know why these hard things happen, but I do know that our God is bigger than our pain, and he can use them for his glory. Amen? And so here we get to see the pain of Elizabeth and Zechariah be an opportunity for a miracle for the encouragement of our faith. Church, God's plans are big. They're bigger than our hardships, and they're bigger than our sin. Now, here's the thing I also want you guys to see. I want you to think about this for a minute. Their righteousness, okay, did, uh, their, their sin did not keep God or did not bring their curse on them. Let me start that over again, okay? Uh, their sin did not keep God from blessing them, okay? So we see that they're righteous. It's not their sin that made them barren. But similarly, think about Zechariah. Zechariah doubted the word of this angel. His doubt did not keep Elizabeth from conceiving. God is bigger than the impossible situation in our life and his grace and mercy extends beyond our sin. So as he doubts God in that moment, as he doubts the word of this angel, he says, how can this be? We're old. That doubt did not disqualify him from the blessing. Man, have you ever, have you ever felt like that? Like God cannot use me because of my failing? His grace and His mercy is bigger than our moment. Now, do our sins have consequences? They do. They do. And just because we experience the grace of God does not mean that the earthly consequences of our sin magically go away. There are consequences for our action. But the thing that I want us to see is that our mistake, our weakness, does not limit God's action. God wanted to send his blessing and prove a miracle by having somebody who's past uh, uh, birthing years 
and somebody who has been proven barren over the course of her lifetime, God wanted to do a miracle in that moment, and Zechariah's sin of doubt was not going to trump God's desire to act. That's huge, right? When we experience those hardships, those difficulties, those sins in our life, that does not mean God is done with us. There is opportunity for God to continue to use us. And this this brings us to uh, our, our fifth sign. Okay, what was it? What was it that John the Baptist was sent to do? He was sent to lead God's people into repentance. Okay, so this is the, the fifth sign. The very fact that God is sending the forerunner and the purpose of his mission means that the Messiah is here. The, the fifth sign is the fact that God is sending the forerunner means that the Messiah is here. The forerunner is sent on a mission. That mission is to prepare God's people for the coming of the Lord. So when when John the Baptist is finally born, and all these things that Zechariah doubted are revealed, God loosens his tongue. And I want you to see what uh, he says what Zechariah says about his son is he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he begins to prophesy about his son. We're going to look into this more in a couple of weeks, but we're going to just dive into it today. Look at 1 verse 76 through 79. And this is Zechariah prophesying about his son through the Holy Spirit. It says, And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the ways of peace. John, his son, Zechariah's son, will usher in a season of repentance and preparation. The angel Gabriel described to us earlier in verses 16 and 17 this. He says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. What's the ministry of John the Baptist? It's going to be to turn the children of Israel to the Lord their God. His ministry will be to turn the hearts of fathers to to their children. In the repentance, we're going to have opportunity for reconciliation, for relationships to be prepared and to be mended. It says that the disobedient will turn to the wisdom of the just. And all of this will make ready for the Lord a people prepared. What what I love about this is his ministry, his mission is to lead God's people into repentance. What do we see happen in the life of Zechariah as he makes this mistake and doubts the Lord and doubts this message of this angel? What happens? He's mute, but he's convinced and so what does he do when the baby's born? And again, we're going to get to this later. He's like trying to tell them. They want to name this baby Zachariah. And he's like, give me something to write with, right? So he writes down John. His name is John. And in that moment, what's he say? He says, I repent of my doubt. I trust the word of this angel. This is my son, John. And he believed in the message 
that he uh, had been told by the angel of the ministry of his son. And so through the Holy Spirit, he prophesied the same thing that the angel had told him. Now, what's cool about that is he's probably had this bottled up inside of him from the whole time that he was muted. What's the last thing he heard? The last thing he heard before he lost his ability to speak was this message that his son was going to come and lead the people of Israel to be prepared for the coming of the Messiah. And the first thing he says whenever his tongue is loosened is declaring the goodness of God and trusting in the promises of God as he prophesied over his son the mission that the Lord will have for him. Luke is telling his readers, he's telling us, he's telling Zechariah, and Elizabeth, that this son is no ordinary message. Like we read earlier, the angel tells him in verse 15 that John will be great before the Lord. His ministry will be one filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Zechariah is told that his son should not drink alcohol. Now, usually this is the kind of vow that's made by an individual, but here we see something special. We see that this vow is made for John by his father, just another indication of how this son is going to be set apart for something different. So Luke tells us this. He tells us that he carefully investigated things from the beginning. And how far back of a beginning did he go? To the beginning of the guy who tells about the beginning, right? How far back did he go? He went all the way back to the beginning of John the Baptist so that we could have confidence in the testimony of John the Baptist, about the coming of the Messiah. And so John's ministry then is a ministry of preparation. God saw preparing the people as so important that he sent someone special to do the work. He saw saw the need to prepare the people, the people of Israel, his chosen people, He saw the ministry of preparing them as so important that he sent someone special. Now just think about that. His whole ministry was preparing for the coming of Jesus. Preparing for the coming of Jesus. His ministry was one of preparation. How often do we take the time to prepare our hearts for what God wants to do in his kingdom? Now, we know that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, the one that John was preparing the way for. We are saved by his work. But but how often do we just expect God to speak to us? Do we ask for a sign to know what to do? But we don't take any time to prepare, to begin to look around for the signs that he's already showed us what it means to walk in his obedience. Instead, we want to cut the line. We want to not prepare. We want to not do the self-evaluation. We want to not do the heart check. Instead, we just want God to tell us what to do. We want to bypass the preparation. We want to bypass the repentance. We want to bypass the reflection just so that we can go about doing. John's ministry is a ministry to the heart of people. He comes to usher in repentance He comes to usher in reconciliation between families. He comes to turn disobedient people to walk in the wisdom of God. What a powerful message for the people of God. And what a a powerful message for the people of God today. So we've got to ask ourselves, we're in the middle of the ministry of the Messiah. 
How is God preparing our hearts to participate in the ministry of Messiah today? Do do we take the time to self-evaluate and repent? Do, Do we do the hard work of reconciliation within families? Those relationships that are closest to us, that are strained and hurting. If if God sent John the Baptist to prepare his people for the coming of the Messiah, in part to turn fathers back to their children, how important is it for us to remain reconciled to our families today? Are we looking to God's word and looking to the wisdom that comes from God so we can ask ourselves how we can follow that instead of continuing to follow ourselves and our own foolish disobedience. This is our our time of, of reflection. As the praise team comes, I just want to use this time at the end of the service to begin to ask yourselves this question. The kingdom of God is here through the, through the church. And God is at work advancing his gospel now. How am I making preparations today for what God would have me to do in his kingdom today? As the praise team comes and we prepare to sing, I just want you to pray and I want you to ask God, what are you calling me to do? And how can I begin to prepare my heart to participate in your ministry? What sins in my life do I need to repent of? What relationships in my life do I need to repair? Not in our flesh, in our own human strength, but through the work of the Holy Spirit as he softens our heart and leads us into repentance. So as we sing these two songs, I want you to pray for those things. But also at this time, the altar's open. This is a great time to pray to lay down your needs before God, whatever he's been doing in your life, whatever he's asking you to do. Maybe you have been asking for a sign. God, what do you want me to do? And what I want to encourage you to do then is to use this time to say, God, prepare my heart. Prepare my heart for what you would have me do. Would you all pray with me? Lord, we we just ask that you would move. We ask that you would challenge us, that you would work in our hearts, that you would speak clearly that we could hear from you. Father, that we would know the things, your Holy Spirit convicting us that we need to repent of, those relationships that need attention. Lord, help us to have prepared hearts to walk forward in the wisdom of obedience. We thank you, Lord, that you have sent these signs to us, that we can have confidence, confidence that you were preparing the people for the coming of the Messiah. It's in your name we pray. Please stand with us and worship. The altars are open. Let's seek him right now.